indeed. I say he is risen. You say he is risen indeed. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Amen and amen. Welcome to church this morning. My name's Peter. Welcome to church in the marketplace. Uh, welcome to all of you here at the home base at 400 Oxford Street here in the heart of Bondi Junction. And indeed to all of you watching online as well. We're going to be celebrating the resurrection of Christ. We are celebrating new life this morning. We are ce celebrating that Christ is but the first fruits of a bodily resurrection. We're going to be exploring what the resurrection means. I'm going to be honing in on one little aspect of this story that you might not have considered before. For a preacher like myself who's been doing this for a few years, let me tell you, it can be a little bit of a challenge. It's the same story every year. But I must say, every year, uh, God provides me with something different to focus on. And, and this year, you're going to be looking at the the real significance of how we celebrate a resurrection, not just in spirit, not just as a metaphor, not just as an allegory for, you know, spring coming after winter or, or happiness after tragedy. No, no. As followers of Jesus Christ, we believe in a bodily resurrection, a resurrection in the flesh. We believe that Jesus has flesh and blood today. And we're going to be exploring the ramifications of that. We're going to be exploring in some ways, the terrifying ramifications of that, and indeed the glorious and the hopeful and triumphant ramifications of believing that Jesus Christ was literally risen from the grave. Friends, why don't we commence our time together with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Loving Lord, thank you so much for new life. We say thank you for the resurrection. We say thank you that the grave has been defeated. Death has been snapped into Thank you, Heavenly Father, for raising Jesus, your Son, our Saviour, from the grave into new, abundant, eternal resurrection life. And we declare this morning that we are so very happy and feeling so very blessed and joyous that we too can share in His resurrection in the flesh. We say thank you that Jesus is but the first fruits of the resurrection that we can follow, that all are welcome to follow Him into newness of life in this life and in the next. Father, we give this moment to you. Father, we say we are your people. Come and have your way amongst us. Use this time to build up your church in the year ahead. In Jesus' name, all the people said, Amen. we're going to stand and we're going to sing King of Kings. It's a, have a listen to the words. I hope you're always thinking through the lyrics of our songs. This is a song that talks us through the Easter story and culminates in the great celebration of the resurrection. Let's sing.
Easter eggs this morning? No. Some are missed out. See me afterwards, James. I'll fix you up, brother. It's, uh, it's no good that a little fella like yourself being good or you misses out. Did anybody get any Easter eggs this morning? Yes, Libby got some. Anyone else get any eggs? Robin did. Oh, okay. Come on. Well, come and see me afterwards, brother. I'll fix you up. Why do we give uh, eggs on Easter? Who can tell me why we give eggs at Easter time? It's a celebration of new life, of course. Uh, it's a celebration that we can have new life, and from within an egg comes new life. You might also, next time you're eating, biting into an Easter egg, you might like to take note that it's hollow. Most of our Easter eggs are hollow, symbolizing the empty grave. There's no body in the tomb. You might also like to look at the, the shape of the Easter egg. And maybe it might remind you of the stone that was rolled away, that the grave is, is open, uh, the tomb was open, and the grave clothes lay neatly folded. Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. He is, is no longer with us. Uh, he is risen. Great to have uh, so many of you with us this morning. Great to have some visitors with us this morning as well. If you're a church in the marketplace regular, please make them feel uh, welcome this morning. Uh, for our CMP regulars, of course, we'd love you to be giving electronically. If you would like to give uh, via paper money, up, you can do so up the back. And if you'd like prayer for anything at all this morning, uh, please come down the front here and an elder will, will meet you and pray for whatever it is that's on your heart this morning. I don't know where, where it is you've come from, what sort of a year you've been having, but if you've got something you need to unburden yourself with and just hand it over to God, please don't let the moment pass. The invitation is there for you this morning to come down the front and receive some prayer for whatever it is uh, that you're wanting to give over to God this morning here following our service. I want to uh, catch you up with a story of Easter. If you were here on Good Friday, you'll know that we heard from the wonderful people at the Bible Project who caught us up to speed with, with the story so far, with the story of Easter up to uh, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, how he took our place uh, in the grave in order that we might live. Well, this is the Bible Project story of the resurrection. So I invite you to cast your eyes to the screen. Uh, this is uh, the Bible Project, some wonderful, very gifted people telling the story of the resurrection. We've been looking at the story of Jesus as it's told in Luke's Gospel. It begins with the arrival of an unlikely king born in poor, humble circumstances. Then we saw Jesus as a teacher and prophet. He went throughout Israel calling people to a radical way of life, where enemies become friends, the poor are cared for, where people find forgiveness for their failures. He went from town to town inviting people to follow him and live under God's reign in this upside-down way. And he did many signs and wonders. So many Israelites began to hope that he would rescue Israel from the Romans and set up a new kingdom of peace and justice. In short, that he would bring the kingdom of God. Now the religious leaders of the day were also hoping for God's kingdom. But to them, the message of Jesus 
was a threat. Yeah, they had expected to gain power and prestige when this all went down. But Jesus said God's kingdom belongs to the poor, to the outsider, and that real power is serving others in love. This conflict intensified when Jesus, while in Jerusalem, disrupted the temple sacrifices and called Israel's leaders a gang of rebels. So they arrested Jesus, and they had him accused before the Roman authorities of being a rebel king. He was handed over for execution, even though he was innocent. Then he was taken outside the city and put to death on false charges. This brings us to the final section of the Gospel of Luke. There was a religious leader named Joseph who opposed Jesus' execution and then requested to be given his body so he could bury Jesus in a nearby tomb. And then a couple of days later, some women who had followed Jesus came to visit that tomb and they found it open and empty. And they encountered these mysterious figures telling them Jesus was alive from the dead. So they run away terrified. Nobody believes their report. I mean, he can't be alive. They all saw him die. Now, just outside of Jerusalem, a pair of Jesus' followers were leaving the city, traveling on a road to a town called Emmaus. And they were sad and confused about everything that had happened. Then Jesus shows up, walking alongside them. But they don't know it's him. Yeah, that's weird. Why couldn't they recognize him? Yeah, it's an odd but really significant image for Luke. They're blind to Jesus for some reason. So Jesus asks them, what are you guys talking about? And they begin to tell him about Jesus, a powerful prophet who they expected would rescue Israel, but was instead executed. Some women say he's alive, which is crazy. It's all too much. We're going home. So Jesus tries to explain that this is what the Jewish scriptures had been pointing to all along that Israel needed a king who would suffer and die as a rebel on behalf of those who actually are rebels. And then he would be vindicated by his resurrection so he could give true life to those who would receive it. But it's still not making sense. They're as confused as ever. Which leads to the scene where they sit down for a meal with Jesus. He takes the bread, he blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them, just as he did at the Last Supper. Yeah, this is the image of his broken body, his death on the cross. And it's when they take in the broken bread, that's when their eyes are open to see Jesus. Then he disappears and the episode's over. So this is a story about how it's hard to see Jesus for who he really is. Yes, this is brilliant. I mean, how could God's royal power and love be revealed through this man's shameful execution? How could a humble man become the king of the world through weakness and self-sacrifice? It's very hard to see. But this is the message of the Gospel of Luke. It takes a transformation of your imagination to see it and embrace Jesus' upside-down kingdom. The Gospel of Luke ends with Jesus and all of his disciples together over another meal. And everyone's freaking out about his resurrected body. I mean, he's still a human, but way more. Yes, he's passed through death and come out the other side, a walking, talking piece of new creation. And then Jesus tells them that he's going to give them the same divine power that sustained him so they can go out and share the good news of God's kingdom with other people. After this, Luke tells us that Jesus was taken up into heaven, which is a cool exit and all, but why disappear into the sky? So in the Old Testament, the skies are the place of God's throne. They're above everything. So this is Luke's way of showing that Jesus has been enthroned as the divine king of the whole world. His followers stay in Jerusalem, worshiping God and Jesus, waiting for this new power. And this is where the gospel ends. Now, Luke is going to write about how they receive this power and take the news out into the world. And that's what his second volume, the book of Acts, is all about. So there you have it, this mysterious risen Christ, not even recognized by his followers Eventually, he breaks bread and they recognize him. And it's, it's Jesus. It's who they knew, but he is somehow different. He, as the video said, is a little piece of this new creation. Something has radically changed. Something has radically transformed. In just a moment, we're going to be continuing that story and seeing how he go, he's on his way from the, with his disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he finally gathers with his disciples behind locked doors appears somehow behind locked doors and actually takes into himself a piece of fish, a piece of broiled fish. A strange little detail. We're going to ask ourselves, well, what does this mean? And why would Luke even include 
this little detail. If you would like to uh, grab a Bible, if you don't have a Bible on your phone, you might like to look it up. Uh, BibleGateway.com is the website that I like to use. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 24. Renee will have got a Bible for you. Going to give you a couple of minutes, chat to your neighbor, and maybe say good day to someone you haven't met before. Uh, welcome a visit. I'll give you two minutes. Uh, find Luke chapter 24, and I'll be back with you very, very shortly. Please have a chat amongst yourselves. to be served but to serve. He turns the worldly values on its head. Friends, we are in Luke chapter 24, going to start at verse 36. So open up your Bibles, have a look uh, to make sure that I'm not telling fibs, not I'm not telling porky pies up here. Luke chapter 24, there's four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. They start off your Old Testament. Luke is actually a doctor. He says very explicitly at the start what he's doing. He's set out to write an orderly account. He's telling you right off the bat what he's doing here. He's not telling you an allegory. He's not telling myth. He's not just painting a story. He's reporting the news. He is reporting. He's done his research. He wasn't an eyewitness himself, but he interviewed several who were, and he's telling you what actually happened. These very historical, the historicity of the New Testament is, is really uh, beyond question, uh, more reliable than any other ancient document. So Luke is giving you an account here of what actually happened. So let's pick it up at Luke chapter 24 uh, and at verse 36. So this is after the, the resurrection has occurred and now Luke is giving us an account of what might be called a, a post-resurrection appearance. Verse 36 says, While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled and and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe, believe it because of joy and amazement, they asked them, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, 
And he took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Friends, let's pray. Yes, loving Lord, we pray that you might bring this well-known passage of Scripture about this most famous of events, this most miraculous of events, this most earth-shattering, life-changing of events. Give it new life to us this morning. We pray that we might see something afresh, see something new, a new angle. Please allow us to be challenged, allow us to be moved. Father, we pray that we might be encouraged on our walk with you for the remainder of this year, and indeed for the remainder of our days. In Jesus' name, all the people said, Amen. Amen. I think, church, that many people today are kind of comfortable with the notion of Easter. I think many Aussies today, they're okay with the concept of Easter on one level. I think they're actually okay with the concept of, of, oh gee, that was a really encouraging story. And yes, it's, you know, it's a metaphor for, for new life after death. You can have hope even in the midst of tragedy. I think a lot of Aussies look at this story and say, I'm really glad those folk in the church find some word of comfort or, or encouragement from this story. And, and I can even buy into it on, on a level of how, you know, following winter comes the spring and, and new birth and, and, and new life. And if that gives you encouragement, if that gives you a little kick along, then I'm, I'm very happy for you. But as for resurrection... Well, I'm sorry, I, I can't believe in that. I'm sorry, I'm not going with you there at all. I'm I, I happy for to see it with you as a, as a metaphor, as an allegory, as, as a myth that might even convey an element of, of truth in the spiritual. But as for actually someone coming back from the grave, I'm sorry, Pete, I, I can't go with you there. Don't make me laugh. It is, it, is, it is a myth, and, and I'm sure, look, I'm sure that your fellow Christians back in the day, that they were so inspired, and they were out, and, and they were out changing the world, and, and I love how you guys serve the poor, and you educate our kids, and you look after our oldies. I, I love how you do all of that, and I'm sure that maybe back in the day, you know, those first followers of Jesus Christ, they sort of, they added this myth, they, they inserted this myth that Jesus had, had come back to life, but it, let, let's be honest, that, that, that can't really happen, can it? I think that is the level on which many people understand the resurrection today. Sadly, in fact, many people in the church will even tell you that. Sadly, in fact, many ministers will even tell you that. Sadly, even more, in fact, many ministers in our own denomination will even tell you that. Every Easter, they're out there in the public place, social media and in the Herald, telling you all about how the resurrection is really just a metaphor. It's really just an allegory for new life. Well, Luke says no. The gospel writers come out very clearly and do not leave that option open to us. They come out very clearly and say, no, that's, that's not what happened. We've, 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 we have the eyewitnesses here and we can tell you that no, Jesus is, is, is not a ghost. It's not just about some warm, fuzzy feeling to give you a, a word of encouragement. I think the story of Easter Sunday, the story of the resurrection should, in fact, either terrify us or fill us with rapturous joy. If you're kind of middle of the road about this Jesus character, then you haven't really understood it. If you're kind of just a little bit comfortable with the story of Jesus with his life and death and resurrection, then you haven't really grasped the concept. I want to say to you, maybe suggest to you and, and ask you gently, maybe you haven't thought it through. You see, this story that we celebrate today, the resurrection of Christ, changes everything. 
This Changes Everything was the title of my message to you a couple of years ago. I couldn't remember what I told you a couple of years ago, and I didn't want to repeat myself, but the story is the same, and, and it, it indeed changes everything. So I want to focus in on one little aspect of this story today that I think has a couple of really big downstream effects, really a couple of huge downstream effects, one for the mind and one for the body in terms of how we, we live it out. Firstly, uh, for, for the mind. The story that Luke tells us here, he's gone away and he's, and he's, he's done his, his research, is, is, that, is that if Jesus Christ has indeed risen, then, then in fact it, this really should be earth-shattering in terms of, of how we think. It really should change the way we think about life. This actually changes really and, and supersedes the very the very laws of physics. It really says if Jesus actually has conquered death, then we have no option but to kneel before him as our saviour and our Lord. It will radically transform how we think about the universe and our place in it. Gone will be the days when we sort of make ourselves the centre of the universe and me the Lord of my own life, me my own God. It's, you've got to come to the place you say, oh, Lord, you are sovereign. You are Lord. You are Lord of time and, and space. This has been the case since the word go. A fellow by the name of Paul who ended up writing most, well, not most, a large section of the New Testament was, 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 on, the, was on Mars Hill, the Areopagus in Athens, where all the philosophers hung out, all the really clever people, all the really educated people in Athens. Paul has been radically set free by the risen Christ and he's, and he's discussing, arguing with all the philosophers there where they'd all gather together and talk about the meaning of life. And he's telling them about Jesus. And for a time, they're quite okay. Oh, here's a new story. And okay, this is Jesus guy sounds interesting. But then he gets to the point where he tells them about his resurrection. And at that point, the conversation is over. Because these philosophers know that if that's true, then this changes everything. If that's true, then the search is over. Gone are the days of groping about in the dark, trying to find an odd clue in, in order to get to the truth. No, Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father but by me. These are exclusive claims to the truth. They're as offensive now as they were back then. The philosophers know that, that this really changes everything, that all the other gods really must bow the knee before this one God. And yes, I know some of you will be thinking, yes, but resurrection, other gods came back from the dead people. And didn't even in your own Christian Bible, in the Old Testament, Elisha raised the widow's son back from death. And of course, we all know about Lazarus. Jesus raised Lazarus back from the dead. But no one's come from, back from the dead like Jesus did. Think of Lazarus. He came back to life. They had to, though... They had to like unwrap him. They had to shift, the, open the grave. They had to unwrap his death clothes just so that he, he could breathe. And Lazarus was resuscitated back to life, but he went on to die like everybody else. Jesus is different. His grave clothes were folded neatly. His body passed through them. right? And by the way, the stone was rolled away, not so much so that he could get out, but that we could get in. Interesting little aside, you might not never considered that, but the, Jesus didn't need the stone rolled away. He's appearing here behind locked doors. He somehow appeared to them in the physical realm and come through a locked door or a wall. Jesus didn't need that stone rolled away. He moved it so that you and I could enter in, so the women, the Mary and those women could enter in and, and see that he was no longer there. This changes everything in our mind. We have, we, we, we have no uh, choice but to admit this is a, a different claim to the truth that supersedes everything else. We have no choice but to say, yes, if this is indeed true, then, then I, 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 there's a claim upon my life and I have a decision to make. It is decision time. It is repentance time, as Jesus talked about later on in, in the passage. Some people will say, yeah, it can't not really be true. But have a look at a little detail here. He says that Jesus, after showing his hands and his feet, he gave them a piece of broiled fish. I have no idea what broiled means. I've got to ask, does anyone know what broiling is? Is it, some kind of, is it boiling or is it baking? 
or is it a combination of the two? Whatever it is, it was broiled fish. Now, why would you include a detail like that? If you're writing myth, if you're writing allegory, if you're writing a, a, a tale of sort of a morality tale, you wouldn't bother to include a detail like this, broiled fish. This is Luke's way of saying, listen, I'm just telling you what happened. I'm telling you the details of what happened. He's including this element as a way of almost anticipating this objection from we modern Aussies to say, yeah, it didn't really happen. It's like Luke is anticipating this objection and saying, look, I'll tell you it's true and here's the details. This little element of the broiled fish, I think, is significant because it says, Luke is saying, I'm telling you history. I'm giving you the news. I'm writing a biography. This is not just sort of some parable. It's not some allegory. I'm telling you what actually happened. There were eyewitnesses there to see it. This account is going out with people still alive who could refute it if it wasn't true. If you're going to not consider this to be news or biography or reliable, you'd better be prepared to dismiss everything you think you know about ancient history. When Suetonius and Tacitus are writing about the Caesars, they're writing a lot further away from the time that they're writing about than Luke is about the events that he's writing about. This, the historicity of the Gospels are unquestioned. So, so firstly, Mentally speaking, it gives us a, a reason to pause and to say, wow, this really does change how we view reality. Jesus is Lord. He has conquered death. He has snapped death in half. He wasn't just resuscitated like Lazarus. He was resurrected from the dead. A little piece of the new reality has, has broken him. He went to hell and even preached, as we heard on Friday, and preached to those there. He, he says he, contained, he holds the keys of death itself. This is a new form of life. This is a new form of existence. This is resurrection life breaking into the here and the now. So it's that intellectual side of things that I want to challenge you about this morning firstly, that if this event is true and Luke is recording some history, giving us details to say that it is, then it really should cause us to readjust our thinking and our loyalties intellectually. But more than that, friends, more than that, it's going to change the way we live. It's going to change the way we view this world. It's going to change the way we think. I want to tell you a quote from C.S. Lewis, the great C.S. Lewis, uh, that touched on this, about how you can kind of say that they were lying. You can kind of say, well, they just made it all up and were trying to hold together this great big kind of concocted lie. It's pretty unlikely um, the Watergate affair tells that even a really small group of the most powerful men in the world can't keep a secret. But you could kind of say, tell Luke that he's lying. You could sort of tell Jesus that he's mad. But C.S. Lewis says, don't you dare tell us that it's just some sort of a, a myth. Don't you dare tell me that it's just a quaint, polite story. Luke has not left this open for us. C.S. Lewis famously said, I'm trying to prevent anyone from really saying the really foolish thing that no one must say about Jesus, that I'm just ready to accept him as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say, is what C.S. Lewis says. He says, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. It's interesting, isn't it? He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice, says C.S. Lewis. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being simply a great human teacher. He did not leave that option open to us. He did not intend to. What a powerful quote from C.S. Lewis. So let this change the way you live, friend. Can I encourage you and leave you with a challenge to indeed put flesh on the bones of your faith. If Jesus did raise from the dead, it means that this physical world matters. How we live actually matters. 
It's why followers of Jesus Christ, wherever they have seen a child suffering, have been moved because of their faith in the risen flesh and blood Christ to help out, to do something about it. Wherever the Christian church has gone and seen human suffering or corruption, they've been moved to make this physical world a better place. This flesh and blood matters. Jesus is going to come again and renew it to make it new. He's not going to trash it. He's going to give it an extreme makeover. Some of you are thinking, well, gee, I, you know, I'm looking forward to, uh, to getting a, a new body and, and I, wish, you know, I, I wish my body would work like it used to. Believing this and, and being in Christ means you don't have to worry about looking backwards to the glory days. Friend, your glory days are still ahead of you, amen? You don't need to look back and worry about, oh, I used to be able to dance a lot better or play tennis a lot better than I used to. The best is still ahead of you. Uh, my, many of you know my son Sebastian uh, is, is serving in, uh, overseas in Buenos Aires, and he sent us a photo of himself just yesterday, and he's, got, he's growing his hair out, and he's got this massive blonde curls. And, and, and my mother, my mother, my mother texted in the group chat, she said, Oh, Sebastian, you've got you're such a beautiful, long, curly hair, just like your father used to have. <laughs> and she said to me, she goes, Peter, that's so nice of you to donate your curls to your son, Sebastian. Thanks, Mum. My glory days are still ahead of me. You don't need to look back. Friend, nor do you need to clamour and grab for yourself everything you possibly can in this life. You don't need to tick every box. You don't need to visit every country. You don't need to try every cuisine. I love all different cuisines, and I love traveling. I'm going to head off to Singapore in a couple of... I'm looking... It's on. I'm going to tick that off my bucket list. Nothing against doing all of those things. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can be set free from the need to do everything in this lifetime because the best is yet to come. You don't need to worry about trying every single food. The best song you've ever heard in your life will be nothing compared to those great choirs of heaven. Amen. The best food you've ever tasted will be nothing compared to the banquet of the Lamb. The best sex you've ever had will be nothing compared to the embrace that we're going to receive. And the communion, I mean, we laugh, but it's true. The communion we're going to have with one another. It's going to be amazing. The best symphony you've ever heard. I sang Handel's Messiah. Some of you were there the other night. I was just a mug punter trying to keep up with Handel's Messiah and the amazing music. The Hallelujah Chorus is but a distant echo of the choruses that we will one day see in heaven. So be set free from the need to clamor for this life. And can I also encourage you to know that because of the bodily resurrection in the flesh, that you can be putting some flesh on the bones of this life to be part of his renewing of creation. You can actually be part of building this wonderful new creation with no more crying, no more pain, no more death. That is the job that he has given us. That is the commission that he has given us to proclaim this good news and to go out and to bring about healing and peace and reconciliation in body, in mind, and in spirit. I'll leave you with one tiny little challenge about the truth of the resurrection that you might not have considered before. Sebastian's are overseas at the moment, and it's interesting, you know, when, you're, when your son isn't with you and you walk, walk past his room, it has a different kind of effect. When Seb was still living with us and his room was filthy and disgusting and his boots were on the floor, why can't he pick up after himself? When he's been away for a few months and you walk away and you go, oh, there's my son, I miss him. Some of you will, will, might know, in fact, people who have suffered the tragedy of losing a family member and it's, it's really hard to, to get rid of their stuff. Can you imagine that? Even losing a child, perhaps, it must be incredibly difficult to to get rid of all of their stuff. I'm going camping tomorrow, and I've got Sebastian's boots. I'm going to take his boots just to remind, a little piece of Seb with me, camping. Imagine what it would have been like for those early Christians. They lost their saviour, and within a really short amount of time, they'd forgotten where the grave was. This is really unusual. 
Whenever you lose someone precious or special, the things become like a shrine, almost like an idol. There were lots of instances in Jesus' day of wise men or gurus having their grave being treated as like a place of, where people would make a pilgrimage to, where they would venerate. The Christians, within 100 years or so, didn't even know where the grave was. Now, I know you can go to Jerusalem and for the low, low price of $29.95, they'll tell you where the grave was. But let me tell you, they don't know. They don't really know. That is because those early followers of Jesus knew that Jesus wasn't there. Amen? They knew that he had risen from the grave. And so his tomb wasn't a shrine. His tomb wasn't important because he wasn't there. Can I encourage you to embrace this truth for yourself today and indeed to live it out, to put flesh on the bones of your faith, to live it out in the physical world, in the here and now, looking forward to the resurrection of all flesh when he will make all things new. Know that even if you run this race and this frail body that you inhabit for a few years runs out of puff before he comes back, you can look forward to the resurrection of the flesh, a whole new body, Oh, what a wonderful body it will be, better than anything you can ever imagine. A relationship with the living Christ, the Lamb of God in the throne of heaven, with the choirs of heaven at the banquet of the Lamb. Friends, let's work towards this as a church in the flesh, here in Bondi Junction, around this land, Australia, and around the world until he comes. Amen? Let's pray. A loving Heavenly Father, we say thank you for new life. We say thank you for the resurrection. We say thank you that we can share in the resurrection in the flesh. Father, we pray that you might help us to know how to do that. Help us to put flesh on the bones of our faith, to live it out, to not simply make it a mental exercise, but to live out our faith here in this physical world, bringing about your kingdom of love and peace and reconciliation, making it a reality wherever you may place us this week, this year, and for the rest of our days. In Jesus' name. The people said, we're going to stand and sing. We're actually going to gather around the communion table because we didn't celebrate communion last week. And I thought, seeing as we're talking about taking on flesh, we're going to be breaking the bed of the flesh of Christ and taking it into ourselves at communion. But as we do, as we approach the table, we're going to sing In Christ Alone, another story that tells of the gospel, the Listen for the movement, listen for the movement of theology as we sing. Let's stand and sing in Christ alone.
Lord. Madly, madly. <laughs> Next time we might just shift that pulpit to if that's okay. A little bit of housekeeping. Friends, please know that all are welcome here. This is a celebration of God's grace. So you don't need to be a member of our church. Uh, this table is an open table. Being a celebration of grace, so all are welcome to come and join us here in just a moment. Um, please know we have a gluten-free option. Please come forward and let me know that you would like the gluten-free option. We can get that for you this morning. I'm going to invite you to come forward. If you could come forward down the center aisle, um, I'll take a piece of bread and give it to you. If you just step to one side and eat it, you might like to pause and, and pray or, or give thanks or make some sort of a recommitment. And then I'm going to ask a couple of elders to come forward and they'll have uh, the little tiny cups, individual self-serving cups on this side and on this. If you could take one and drink it here and simply um, replace it before you return to your seat, uh, that would be wonderful. So don't take the cups back with you. Uh, eat and drink up the front. Take your time if you, would, if you need to do that um, before uh, returning to your seat this morning. So that's what's going to be. That's how we uh, choose to do a communion here uh, in this place. I think it is a good way of putting flesh on the bones of our faith. There is some wisdom in some other parts of the Christian uh, family, some other churches understand the, the significance of getting up and, 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 and getting bodily involved in worship and not just sitting there coming forward. And, of course, we eat and we drink as a way of physically manifesting our faith as well. So this is the table of the Lord. It is a celebration of, of new life. It is a celebration of grace and all are welcome here. My brothers and sisters, this is a joyful feast for all who seek to put flesh on the bones of their faith by living out the resurrection to eternal life in the here and now. This is a holy meal for all who claim the cleansing, healing, reconciling wholeness that is freely available to all in Christ's name. Here Christ meets you and calls you God's own. So friends, come. Come not because you are strong, but because you know that you are weak. Come not because of any goodness of your own, but because you know that you need mercy and help. Come because you love the Lord even a little and you would like to love him more. Friends, come simply because he loves you and because he gave himself for you. Friends, may the peace of the Lord be with you all. Let's pray. Loving Lord, it is indeed right that we give you all of our thanks and praise, for you have raised us up to a new creation. You've written our names in the book of life. You created the earth at the dawn of time in all of your goodness with its rich and plentiful harvest that feeds all of your creatures. Through the law and the prophets, you revealed yourself as the God who heals and who makes us whole. When we humans had sown the seeds of our own destruction, you sent your child Jesus among us to reap a harvest of peace, bearing our burdens, inviting us to share in abundant life by your amazing grace. When he was rejected and nailed to a cross, the world was crucified to us and us to the world. But you pulled him out from the place of the dead. You robed him with glory. You raised him to new life in the flesh. He's the first fruits of the resurrection with much more yet to come. Thank you, Lord. So now you send us out to work towards this new creation to proclaim your nearness, to reap the eternal life in your spirit. So Heavenly Father, we pray that you might pour out your Holy Spirit afresh upon ourselves, upon these gifts of bread and wine, that they may truly be for us your body and your blood, living in and through us, granting us energy to love and to serve wherever you may place us over the coming days and weeks. Heavenly Father, use this moment for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. The people said, Amen. Many of you will uh, know the story. We tell it uh, each time to remind ourselves. This is a command that Jesus has given us to do this in remembrance 
of what he has, of what he has done for us. So we retell the story because we human beings are a story-telling animal. We're a story-telling people. Jesus gathered in an upper room with his friends. And as they gathered, they sat down uh, to the meal. He took bread. He gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. We're told that on that night when he was betrayed, when supper had finished, he took the cup and again he gave thanks and gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my blood poured out for you and for all for the forgiveness of sins. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, the bread we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. The cup we take is a sharing in the blood of Christ. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Friends, come. Thanks, Eric. Uh, all is prepared. I might just get a couple of elders to come forward and help me serve. That would be fantastic. Thank you, guys. here to me first. The body of Christ broken for you, sister. body of Christ broken for you, sister. The body of Christ broken for you, brother. body of Christ broken for you, brother. Hey, buddy, the body of Christ broken for you, my friend. The body of Christ broken for you, sister. Where are you going? body of Christ broken for you, sister. The body of Christ broken for you, brother. Do you need a gluten-free? Yeah. Okay. The body of Christ broken for you, Bill. The body of Christ broken for you, brother. The body of Christ broken for you, sister. The body of Christ broken for you, Gigi. George, the body of Christ broken for you, brother. The body of Christ broken for you, sister.
body of Christ broken for you. The body of Christ broken for you, brother. Paul, the body of Christ broken for you. The body of Christ broken for you, Joel. The body of Christ broken for you, Jackie. The body of Christ broken for you, sister. The body of Christ broken for you, sister. The body of Christ broken for you, darling. The body of Christ broken for you. The body of Christ broken for you, sister. body of Christ broken for you, Lisa. Live the body of Christ broken for you. Body of Christ broken for you, sir. Body of Christ broken for you. Body of Christ broken for you, buddy. Body of Christ broken for you, Natalie. Body of Christ broken for you, Ben. Body of Christ broken for you, Elijah. Body of Christ broken for you, Lisa. sister Kathy the body of Christ broken for you can we get someone to run something up to the fighter box John John take some for the Bible take some upstairs broken for our wonderful friends up in the bio box. <laughs> How many are up there? <laughs> take that up. Take the whole thing up. <sighs> May the body of Christ keep you in eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for new life. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the bodily resurrection. New life in the flesh. Heavenly Father, we look forward to that day when all flesh is at one with you, is at peace with you, is reconciled with you, Father. No more crime. No more pain. 
pain. No more death. When death is swallowed up in victory. So as we rise and go from this place, as we rise from this table, Father, we do so knowing that we are strengthened, we are energized by this bountiful feast here at your table from your boundless grace. We are energized, we are strengthened to love and to serve, to reconcile, to flourish, to proclaim the good news of the resurrected Christ wherever you may plant us this week. In Jesus' name, the people said... Let's finish our time together this morning by singing, Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Let's shift it back. Thanks, Bill. Good job. grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.